You know, I love watching um, Zach's relationship with Wilder, and it really reminds me of some of the more important relationships in my life. And when it comes to those kinds of relationships in my life, there's a particular question that almost haunts me a little bit. Um, And it's just a three-word phrase, not the type of three-word phrases that you might be thinking when it comes to relationships like, I love you. That's a good one. That's not the one I'm thinking about. I was wrong. Another really good one. But no. You're beautiful. That's a great one. Can I help? I am sorry. Although those three-word phrases are pretty important when it comes to relationships, here's one that starts spinning around in my soul that feels like it looms even bigger. You ready? Are we okay? When those three words start spinning around in my soul, it's usually because I've missed something. I've either done something that I shouldn't have done or I haven't done something that I should have and I can't get away from it. I can't make it right. It happened. I can't go back in time and change it. So here I am. Are we okay? Man, relationships are tricky. You know, you want to be right with people, but we inevitably end up sabotaging it and jeopardizing our relationships. We need help. And because of that, it's my hope that from the scriptures that we're reading, that we'll get out of the default and normal ways that we see scripture so we don't miss making our relationships with God and our relationships with one another better. So you guys ready for that? Okay, so speaking of better... Isn't it interesting that as a culture, we are consumed by getting better and improving? I mean, we've got podcasts, we've got books, conferences, seminars, Zoom sessions, master classes. The self-improvement industry is big business, and it's been growing year over year, 5% since 2016, and it looks like it's going to be a $13.2 billion industry by next year. We work so hard on getting better. But have you ever wondered this? Why don't we have to work hard at getting worse? I mean, that just comes naturally, right? I mean, have you ever had to take a class on how to jack up a relationship? (laughs) No. (laughs) Did you ever attend a seminar on how to lie? Ever listen to a podcast on the top 10 ways to fight with your sibling? No. You didn't because we're born as little conflict aficionados. We watch drama for entertainment. We are subject matter experts when it comes to conflict. Am I right? So in this New Testament challenge, we're going to discover something new, I hope, about the very concepts we've been reading about all week in the New Testament And we're going to give testament or testify to one another. We'll get a chance to do that a little bit later. And then there will be a challenge on what we're going to do about it. So New Testament challenge. You guys ready for that? Okay. So here we are right smack dab in our New Testament challenge. And we need to talk about a very significant but unavoidable problem. Sin. It's a thing. Have you ever noticed that it's kind of a recurring theme from Paul throughout your entire reading this week. It's there in Romans, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, Philippians, 
First and Second Timothy and Titus. There is no avoiding it. In Romans, Paul writes this sobering message. Do we Jews have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As you can see, Paul uses sin in a lot of his writing as a unifier. This is reminding us that sin is rather egalitarian in its power over us. You see, it doesn't matter what class you were born into, what culture you were born into, or what country you were born into, sin has equal opportunity and equal outcome. But what is sin exactly? Well, if I'm going to explain this well, I'm probably not going to be able to do it here. So, do you want to see a pastor sin? All right, let's go. So let's get a greater concept and an understanding of sin. Because today, people have way different definitions of sin. Now, technically, there's a few that you'll find that people use. Sin in the Bible, in Greek, is a word hamartia, and that means to be without a share in or to um, be mistaken. We use that to err be mistaken. We use that a lot in our culture today. Oh, I just made a mistake. Yeah, that's the definition of sin. Or to wander from the path. And we hear that too in culture where it's like, you know, I got off on the wrong track or I wandered away. That, that is one of the definitions of sin. But I think one of the most helpful definitions is the last one, and that is to miss the mark. And that last idea, I think, is the most helpful. So to unpack this a little bit more, let me give you an example of missing the mark. Okay, so this is Landon Pierce. He's one of our Westside students. You might know that, but what you may not know is that he is an amazing archer at the same time. How long have you been doing this? Uh, about three years. About three years. Okay, and you've got a state competition coming up, right? Yeah, next week. Nice, nice. So, um, have you done a competition like this before? Yeah, uh, I've done it two years in a row now. Okay, how'd you do? I won uh, state both times. Okay, all right. So you know what you're talking about. Yeah. I've got some good competition. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a shootout, three arrows, the one that's closest wins, and we'll see who wins. Now, I just okay. want you to know though, um, I used to have a bow and arrow when I was a kid with that I made out of like, branches and bailing twine. And I've seen all the Avengers movies. And Hawkeye's one of my favorite characters. In fact, I'm really looking forward to the series coming up. And I've watched a lot of YouTube videos on archery. So look out. Okay. All right, we ready to do this? Yeah. Okay. If I put an arrow through Loki's eye socket, I'd sleep better, I suppose. You and I remember Budapest very differently. The city is flying, we're fighting an army of robots, and I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense.
keep it on the bow. All right. There is wind. I didn't even hit the target on that one. Does it go below or above the ring? I have no idea. I gotta hit the target at least once. Come on, come on, come on. It doesn't. <laughs> well, clearly, I've missed quite a bit here. And you know, I think it's worth saying though, that the very definition of a mark shows us that God really loves us. And why do I say that? Because that means that God has intention for our lives. And he has the very best set out for us. And he's given us a mark to actually hit because you don't set goals for people that you don't care about. So inherent in all of this is a benevolent God who loves us enough to lay down the best for us as our way to live. Can you imagine for a minute the confusion, the chaos, the rebellion, the disorientation if we lived in a world that tried to suggest that God's best really wasn't and that shooting for God's best and the good stuff that he gives us isn't not only okay that we miss it, but it's actually preferred? <laughs> well, isn't that the world we actually live in? But then this begs the question, logically, this good stuff, what is it, really? What is the mark that I'm trying to hit? What is the good stuff that I'm missing? <laughs> Did I sin? Okay. You see, I think this is, this is a really important question, but I also think there's probably a safer place for me to talk about. Okay. Yeah, for all you moms out there, that was totally safe, okay? Just relax, that was fine. But the point is still the same though. What is the mark that I'm really missing? And I think most of the time our default nature the way we normally think about it, is that the mark is our conduct. It's our obedience. In business terms, it's called compliance. The mark is doing good things, and missing the mark is not doing good things or doing outright bad things. But is that really what the mark is? Now, of course, it might include these ideas that we just talked about, but I think at the deepest core of God's heart, do you think that that is all that God is after? I mean, think about it. For those of you who have kids, I know that, is, is it really compliance that you want from your kids? I know sometimes it feels that way when you tell them to clean their room and they roll their eyes at you and say, okay, boomer. I know sometimes in those moments, all you want is compliance, but what if you had a kid whose room was consistently immaculate, but they hated you? So is compliance all you want? And like you, do you think that that's what God really wants? Is just compliance? Is that who God is? If not, then what is the mark that we tend to miss? Well, in the very next verse in the passage that we just looked at in this week's reading, do we Jews have any advantage? Not at all. For we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. But then there's verse 10 that's right after that, that says, it is, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. So Paul says, we're all sinners. We all miss the mark. That's verse 9. Now in verse 10, he's going to quote Psalm 14 to explain what that mark actually is, righteousness. Now, whoa, there's another church word. 
that we need to unpack, righteousness. Now, righteousness or righteous, again, if we're not careful, we'll default in our minds as thinking that it's synonymous with holiness or perfection or some kind of dutiful behavioral compliance. So let's look at the word righteousness in the original Hebrew, tzedakah. The definition of that word is being made in right relationship with or being made right with. In Greek, dikaios, pertaining to or being in right relationship with someone. Do you see a theme developing here? Old Testament scholar Alec Moitier describes righteousness in this way. Those right with God and therefore committed to putting right all other relationships in life. There is a horizontal and a vertical relationship with righteousness, right relationship with God, and therefore right relationship with others. So here's another way to understand righteousness that personally helps me. You see that word? Righteousness, right? You break out the E and the O, rightio usness, right? Now take the E and O out, and there you have it, right in the word, right usness. And it is the answer to the question, are we okay? Because if we are right, we're okay. If our usness is right, we're okay. So think of righteousness as right usness, as right relationship, and that will completely change the way that you read scripture. New York City pastor and author Tim Keller puts it this way in his great book, Generous Justice. This means then that righteousness, biblical righteousness is inevitably social because it's all about relationships. When most modern people see the word righteousness in the Bible, they tend to think of it in terms of private morality, such as sexual chastity or diligence in prayer and Bible study. But in the Bible, tzedakah refers to day-to-day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. And this makes sense because when we think about God's very person and character, God exists as relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And within the Godhead is a mutual trust of interdependence and love among the Trinity. Author Daryl Johnson writes in his book, Experiencing the Trinity, that the living God is not a solitary God. The living God is not an isolated God. From all eternity, the living God has lived in relationship Indeed, has lived as relationship. At the center of the universe is relationship. From all eternity, the living God has been community, has been family. From all eternity, the living God has been infinitely pleased as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even with the way that God relates to us, in the beginning, God sought to walk with us in the cool of the day, and he initiated relational covenants with his people at his own risk and cost. And he sent his son Jesus to the earth for the purpose of relationship. He took the initiative to create right relationship with us. And that is precisely why we here at Westside, we do stuff online. Because we are taking Jesus to them in the same way where Jesus came to us. And that's why we do A2 Communities, taking Jesus to neighborhoods all around Kansas City and beyond. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God 
and to love neighbor. And his return is all about God being with his people and his people being with him. Do you see how it's highly relational? It is who we were made by, why we were made, and what we were made for. In fact, contemporary neuroscience is even discovering this. It's called polyvagal theory. And in essence, it's discovered that our first instinct as human beings at birth is not fight or flight. It's not survivalist. Our first desire, need, and instinct is to attach, to belong, and to experience connection. Our first desire, because we're made in the image of the triune God, is relationship. And this makes sense of everything, doesn't it? And so if you're following all of this, what is the new discovery in the New Testament challenge about sin? What is sin and how does sin miss the mark? Here's what's new. Sin is missing the mark of right usness, of right relationship. And that's why God hates sin so much, because he's always seeking relationship with him, within ourselves even, with others, and with all creation. And that's what we were made for. That is the mark. And when we experience it, live into it, and move towards it, the word in the Bible to describe that is righteousness or right usness. But we all know what happens when we miss right usness, right? We know what happens. In fact, let's keep a look at this comprehensive list Paul made in Romans. There's 17 of them. And let's see how many of these actions impact relationships. And so as we go through this list, think about how it affects relationships as we go through it. They are full of envy. Murder. That'll kill a relationship. (laughs) Strife. Deceit. And malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous, right us decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those things, but also approve of them who practice them. Do you see how actually it's impossible to sin without it impacting one relationship or another? Whether that's a relationship with God within oneself or others or even his creation. But now here's the most important part. It's also impossible to hit the mark of righteousness, right usness, without relationship. You can't experience righteousness outside of a relationship with God. Because only God himself, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is perfectly righteous and in right relationship. The prophet Isaiah writes about this, and he says, The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one, and he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. This is why Jesus came to the earth, to redeem the world of its sin through relationship. And this is why Paul wrote, and you're reading this week, this is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, those who've missed righteousness, of whom I'm the worst. 
He also writes in Romans 3.22, this righteousness, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all those who believe. There's no other way to earn it, receive it, acquire right usness. It takes one person who is right in relationship to restore those who are not. And that, it turns out, had to be God himself. This righteousness is fought for, died for, given, it is granted, it is bestowed, and it is declared over you, if you'll have it. So sin is missing the mark. And if the mark is righteousness or right usness, sin is missing out on the good stuff, the right usness with God and with others. So don't miss out. When it comes to missing that, when it comes to sin, don't feel shame. Feel FOMO. Feel fear of missing out on the relationship that you could have had with God or the relationship that you could have had with other people or even with yourself. So if sin is missing out on the good stuff and if right usness with, with, with God and with others, so that begs the question, what then is self-righteousness? And I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to share right now and testify to other people. This is the testament part. And since we're talking about relationship, I want to give space for you to practice this right now. So you and A2 communities, this is going to be super easy. In the light of what we just learned, discuss with those around you and with you what you think self-righteousness is. And for those of you online, you can just do that in the chat or comments. Tell us what you think right relationship is, what self-righteousness is, what is self-righteousness. And for those in larger gatherings, whether that's the Speedway in the South Room or right here in the North, talk with the person next to you that you know the least. Look, I know this is awkward, right? But I want us to practice what right usness could feel like. So you've got two minutes. If you don't want to talk, if you want to miss righteousness and sin. That's completely up to you. <laughs> Just let everybody know by taking out your phone and ignoring everybody. All right? Okay. So you got two minutes. Ready? Go. I hope you guys had some good discussion there for a second. Um, but I kind of wanted to let you know of what the Testament really is. And that is that self-righteousness is an oxymoron. <laughs> A better understanding of righteousness, right usness, puts self-righteousness into a whole new light, doesn't it? Because righteousness is about relationship. So it's impossible to put the word self in there. They're just the two don't go together. So we can't hit the mark or stay on the path toward it without the grace, power, forgiveness, and the favor of God in our lives. And even when, even when we crush it, it's still not enough. And when we totally blow it, we need to be connected to a relationship that never fails. Whenever we've missed the mark, we can turn around by being in relationship with the one who does relationships perfectly. And when we do turn around, Jesus comes to you and declares over you who you are because in faith, you have been made right in him. In Jesus, you have right usness with God. And he says to you and me, no matter where we've been or what we've done, he calls to you by name and he says, we're okay. 
And that is our great challenge. Please don't miss right usness. Relationships are tricky, but don't miss it. That's the good stuff. Some of the greatest regrets that people bear have to do with relationships. I know, because that's true of me. Now, I know that there are people that are hard to stay in right relationship with. I mean, it could be your spouse, your friend, your ex, one of your kids, an extended family member, a coworker, the neighbor that lets his dog poop in your yard, you know, whatever it is. Hey, it could even be me. I mean, I've been clueless more often than not. But here's what's helped me, I think. Here's what's really helped me on this when it comes to other people. I think of that relationship that lacks right usness. The one where I wonder, are we okay? And it might be that God is bringing someone to mind right now. I stop and I ask the one who lives in and knows how to do perfect relationship, Jesus. And I pray. I pray and ask him, how do I create right usness in this situation? And Jesus always tells me exactly what to do. And then at that point, it's just a matter of obedience, whether I'm going to do it or not. Try it. It will blow your mind. But you might be thinking, I can't do that. I don't even have that kind of relationship with God. Then don't miss right usness with God. (laughs) That's the good stuff. Receive the right relationship that Jesus is offering you, his righteousness. And if you want to talk about how you can be made right with God, just Put in the chat or comments, I want to be right with God right now. Or talk with someone here about that. Now, one of the easiest ways to get in right relationship with someone, because we just talked about God, and let's talk about others. One of the easiest ways to get in right relationship with someone else, or even with God for that matter, is to see things from his perspective. So I want to read over you the words of Paul to the church in Ephesians. Many of you have been reading through his letter this week. Did you notice all of the rich and amazing descriptions that Paul uses to describe the people in Ephesus? It's incredible. And I guarantee you, I'm sure they were incredible, but no different than you or me. And they didn't need a master's degree on how to sin or jack up a relationship, just like we don't. They were just as messed up as you and me, maybe even more so. But I want you to see the words that he uses to describe who they are. Because in Christ, this is how God now sees us, all of us, too. Because when you see yourself and others, even the ones that drive you crazy from his perspective, it changes everything. So in your notes on the app or the notes tab, you can see this list. And as I read this list over you, I want you to ask God's spirit to help you pause with the word or phrase that your spirit most needs right now. What does your spirit need to hear? Now hear the words of the Lord over you from the book of Ephesians. We are saints. We're faithful. We're holy. Blameless. We're adopted as children. We're chosen. We are the praise of his glory, marked in Jesus with a seal, his possession. We're alive with him. We're his handiwork, created in him, and we are now one new humanity. We're no longer foreigners, 
We're fellow citizens and members of his household. We are a dwelling in which he lives. We're heirs together. We're members together. We're rooted and established in love. We're called his graced ones. We're like infants made new. We have a new self created to be like Jesus, sealed for redemption. We are dearly loved children. And now you are light. We're members of his body and we are the church. Look at that list as we sing over you and may you see yourself and others just like Jesus does.